welcome to the first episode of Behind the BDS. I'm so grateful to have you all here, so thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Moore, and we'll be exploring numerous mental health diagnoses on the podcast and gaining an insight into individuals' experiences living with these conditions. Today, I'm so thrilled to welcome my first guest on the podcast, Tash, also known as Tash the Medic, on her social media platforms. She has just finished her third year of medicine at King's College London, and Tash has always been very transparent on her social media of her experience with anorexia nervosa as well as anxiety and depression. Today we're going to be delving into these conditions and exploring the different types of eating disorders. We're also going to be exploring mental health within the medical profession as a whole, as well as at undergraduate level and any associated stigmas. I also want to touch base on all the amazing positive things Tasha is currently doing on her Instagram and her YouTube channel, from providing advice to aspiring medical students to giving tips on how to maintain your own well-being. So welcome Tash, I'm so excited to have you here. Emily thank you that was such a nice introduction I was just sat here smiling oh no problem at all and it's been I've definitely had that experience myself like as soon as I came across you on um, Instagram it felt like for me the most relatable one out there for me in terms of like an actual channel obviously I've learned a lot from loads of other people too but I think experience wise and kind of um our mental health kind of background yours was the one that sort of seems the most relatable to me and it's been really helpful um it's just helped me with my direction with my kind of Instagram as well and certain things that I want to post about so it's been massive inspiration Oh, that's so nice to hear. I mean, especially because that's what I set out to do, just to make something, you know, that people could relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had a personal account, and then it was something that I've always thought about, like setting up an Instagram. Um, but to be honest, I just didn't realise how many people were on it, sort mm. of looking for advice about how to get into medicine, and also I, you know, you hear about you know medicine and like other healthcare degrees, like dentistry people obviously suffering from mental health illnesses but it's only when you actually like go on a platform like that you realize the sheer number of people who actually are affected so true Um, isn't it because I think you know like throughout my illnesses I you know I obviously knew I wasn't the only person in the world experiencing um those diseases but I definitely felt like I was the only medical student yes or like even if even if I knew there must be somebody I couldn't like relate to them because I didn't know who they were I didn't know if they were do you know what I mean it's putting a face it's like putting a face to that isn't it in a way like you'll know like you know you see the stats and you know okay like one in four have a mental health condition in the UK per year which you think oh my god that's like a quarter of the population like there's so many people out there with these problems but if you don't necessarily know someone kind of immediate to you or like can put a face mm. to that it's just a statistic it is exactly. really hard to relate to it so I agree with you like with the um, Instagram like even complete strangers I've had message me for asking for advice and obviously it's difficult at times because I'm not a trained kind of counselor or a psychiatrist or anything like that but just still being able to kind of shed light on your experience and know that like that could still be helping them and kind of give them some direction or some kind of you know maybe perceptions that they haven't really thought about or um some takes on things um so I think yeah Yeah. it it really makes you realize when you've kind of got strangers reaching out to you and you think wow like this is really a thing like this is a big big thing Definitely. And I like never wanted it to be a sob story. I always wanted it to be a purpose. And I think, you know, when I was going through the roughest parts, I sort of didn't really feel like people did get better. I mean, I knew yeah. that obviously, you know, as a medical student, technically, you know, you, you know, there's treatment and people do get better, but kind of like the statistics, it's one thing knowing it and it's another thing to actually see yeah. it and hear a person speak about 
you know, the lowest of the lows and now see that they're actually doing okay. And, you know, it's not something that takes 10 years. Yes, it takes time, but it is possible to get better and get better quick. A bit more quickly. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that you kind of think, I even worry about that now. Like I always think, say with depression, I think, is it something that I've, now have for the rest of my life but it's a matter Mm. of management or is it something i fully recover on and then am i more at risk of relapse in the future and Mm. i'm more at risk of a mental health condition in that way Mm. um for whatever reason that is or you know which what i kind of always think which one is it like should i be thinking of it as like a management thing and Mm. it's always gonna come back which is obviously not a nice thought to think of and i don't want to let live like that obviously worrying Mm. about where if and when but then it's like i don't want to be ignorant to that either and think okay like i'm fully recovered like that's me done like i'm over it now yeah. not over it but kind of even though at the moment i know that's not the state i'm at but if in say a couple like maybe a year's time if i've kind of made more and more, more progress and i kind of feel a bit more recovered in quotation marks but then is do i can you know i'd always worry about uh, that yeah. i always think is it a recover is it a fully recovered thing or is it a management thing uh, what do you what do you think about that yeah, I 100% agree with everything you've just said. Um, I think, like you say, you don't want to be oblivious to the fact that, you know, people do relapse. Um, I think the way that I see it now is, you know, about six months ago, eight year ago, I used to think that, you know, the thing called happiness in inverted commas is, you know, smiling and waking up every day being like, I love the world, <laughs> life is good. But I think recently I've learned that that's not what it is. And you will still get days when you feel, you know, a little bit down, but that's normal. And every single person who is, has a healthy, has, you know, their mental health is good, will Mm. still feel sad, but it's working out that difference between those feelings of being a bit sad and when it becomes depression, you know, when those sad days are outweighing the good days. Good days. Um, And I think it's, you know, for me, I, you know, I still have moments where I'm like, oh, today's not been a good day, but I'm able to say to myself, well, tomorrow's a new day and it will be good. Whereas when I had, when I was in like the pits of depression, that just, you know. All merged into one in a way, isn't it? It's like no day was positive in a way or no day was a good day where to be able to have that contrast and be aware of a contrast actually, I found quite nice because I felt like for a good, well, from March last year to, I mean, definitely around even Christmas, like it, it didn't really feel, I mean, there might've been certain days where I was slightly better than others maybe. Um, and kind of the severity was a little bit different, but I still never felt kind of content or, happy in any way it, it kind of you know again happy mm. being kind of inverted commas because i probably had a bit of a skewed idea what my kind of idea of happiness mm. was at that point um but i still always felt that one level of just numb and low and that was always present no matter kind of how severe or not so i think now where i'm at a point where i can have that contrast it was quite like a revelation to me it kind of felt like like when mm. i sort of even with like randomly in lockdown like i've not really kind of had a full-on like cry really many times but mm. i think even in lockdown if i have cried about anything it was just been for like five minutes i've been like okay like you say just thinking well tomorrow's a new day like that can mm-hmm. be different to today and just even being able to see that contrast between two days and thinking mm-hmm. okay like i can be crying and that is fine like doesn't mean i am de- like i am going back into depression or i am yeah. like ill again i think that's quite hard as well it's just kind of when you have had depression or maybe other mental health conditions as well, I think when you you get upset, you're thinking, oh no, is this it? Like, am I 
falling back into something that I don't want to be going back into and this is the start of something but then actually you know you've got to be able to be comfortable with the fact that like you can be upset just like you ever were in the past or just you know you can be crying and not really know why you're crying but it's like you say just kind of the kind of how many bad days is there or how many sad days because obviously mm. yeah there might be a problem if someone's having a lot more sad days than the kind of better days as yeah. such so it's, it's that kind of balance isn't it of when it, when is this a problem or when is this exactly I mean I know that's a crude way of thinking of about it but it's definitely mm. sort of an easy way to quantify it but um yeah I 100% you know like agree with what you've just said I think you know I, th- I think it's having the confidence within yourself that you are better um yes I guess that kind of touches on the anxiety side of it the anxiety side telling you oh but it's gonna come back Mm, um that's true and it's kind of being able to try and put those thoughts aside and being like you know what I could unfortunately get any disease in a year's time do you know what I mean um and just you know maybe accepting that obviously it is a fact that people do relapse from mental health illnesses um just like they do physical illnesses and that's okay I will deal with that when When it it comes comes up again but right now I am confident that I'm doing well and I know how to deal with because you know it's not like those thoughts mean you know the thoughts of whatever the sadness whatever you experience you know Mm. through those troughs as I call them yeah um, so true you know may come back but you will be able to deal with them and like Mm. challenge them I think definitely um, I had a question for you actually just, oh, on course, what you, <laughs> just what you just what you mentioned there when you um, last spoke um yeah do you has you have you found that lockdowns helped you I for me it's interesting because that I would say yeah overall and it's mm. been that's been quite difficult in, at times for me because I kind of felt a little bit guilty at times in lockdown I don't know mm. if guilty is the right word but I've sometimes felt like you know I don't want to be acting as if okay I'm doing mm. not as in I'm doing great but for me it's been a kind of positive thing when there's a pandemic happening you know what I mean like people yeah, I'm obviously it's... fully aware that we're in a pandemic and it's a very difficult time for most people and a lot of people are going through a lot right now and I'm so fortunate you know that everyone around me hasn't had coronavirus or not been directly affected by it but obviously it's such a massive thing no I was just interested to ask you that because I feel exactly the same way actually um like although you know I feel very lucky that all my family and loved ones are healthy at the moment um, yeah. I obviously feel extremely sad with the number of lives lost 100%. And, health, and healthcare professionals even um but the lockdown definitely has been a positive you know if I'm just thinking 100% selfishly yes um, that's the thing been, isn't it it's been such a positive um, time for me to, I think it's allowed me to sort of prioritise my mental yes. health. And yeah, it's just, I think it's, That's yeah, although forefront. I would never have wished this to have happened, it, it, you know, it, there has been a positive side to it for me. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear hear someone else say that because I I think I have always felt a little bit since the beginning of lockdown I wasn't so sure at the beginning it felt like time was kind of ticking quite slowly Mm. I thought I think I just felt like because I'm quite stubborn in that way I felt like Mm. because me taking a leave of absence last academic year so I finished that year early as well I think I felt Mm. like I really wanted to prove to myself that I could get through the rest of this year Mm. academic year and do the exams in like kind of normal circumstance but obviously that's not something Mm. I could 
could control with coronavirus so that was just you know out of my control so I had to kind of accept that and then the rest of the time of coronavirus yeah in lockdown I mean I feel like I have been able to sort of properly think about the kind of progress I have made in the last year and just that Mm. slowness of everything slowing down and not being at uni and kind of getting back into that nine till five routine and being Mm. very kind of academic focused I think I have been able to just yeah think about the progress I've made what I really want for future Mm. like what kind of like targets I have or what goals Mm. that I have and things like that really and I think I'm working on our kind of platforms that we both have and doing you know blogs or youtube or all of these things that maybe if we were podcasts exactly tick another one ticked off like i think yeah doing these things that if we were at uni and really really busy and you know coming in at 6 p.m and then having to make tea and do a bit of work and go to bed and i think maybe we wouldn't have been able to have maybe explored all of these different things that we have um during lockdown so yeah I'm glad for you it's been like a kind of more positive thing as well and you have kind of got stuff out of it yeah likewise yeah I think for me like um I've been in a relationship like throughout um sort of my worst times with depression anxiety and um, my boyfriend was amazing and like was so supportive but I definitely became very reliant on him Mm. um and so I actually went back to Bristol my like family home without him and you know when uh, I so I went you know two and a half three months um without seeing him we're actually back together now yeah Um, but like I if someone told me that I had to do that six months ago I would have like broken down and I would have said like no I can't do that so I think Mm. the fact that you know I've managed to not only sort of cope without him but yeah. actually do other things positive you know and make 100 do things positively on my own has has been has been a big boost of confidence although like I'm so happy that obviously we're back reunited definitely <laughs> reunited it's definitely it I think it's definitely taken you know a lot of that sort of pressure of him especially yeah and I I 100% actually feel you on that I think even for me like when I was at uni since September and things still weren't great at all kind of mentally and I think Mm. I did become very reliant I can I can understand why because I was just so low that Mm. any kind of help that came my way or any kind of support as Mm. little as it might have been I felt like I literally just attached to that like to a new extreme and kind of knew that like I needed other people's support and was kind of very kind of openly asking for help so it was kind of at a point where anyone who was sort of willing to offer that I would just be clinging onto it for dear life um, which was amazing because it kind of did help me get through and help me at university from September to March but then I felt like yeah coming home for lockdown and being kind Mm. of a bit more on my own again to a certain Mm. capacity um, because for me like my support I'd say the last year has mainly been from like friends or been from like the odd kind of university member of staff and things like that so Mm. I think then to kind of come back home and sort of be a bit more yeah having to think about my own stuff and like I'm more kind of responsible for my own actions or the goals that I have um so yeah it's interesting that I think the reliance things and interesting things I think I've sort of have become a bit reliant on certain individuals in the last year and it's trying to in a way let go of that slightly and become more independent again because for so long I kind of felt like I had to rely on other people to be just like alive in a way really and just actually keep some focus on Mm. getting through each day really exactly yeah I completely yeah feel the same way as you it's a tricky one definitely the reliance thing is hard isn't it Mm. um so what I'm gonna do I've not even spoken to you about KCL really or (laughs) where you actually go what are you doing so with medicine what made you 
what was the kind of the thing about medicine that sort of draw you to it or was there anything specific or just kind of you know just something that you fell into in a way um yeah i think you know the cliche reason for most people is to make a difference it makes me cringe say that but you know there is some element that you know that is true for me and and for me that doesn't mean you know saving lives on you know on the daily it means sort of you know improving the quality of people's lives you know and making those small differences like I I used to volunteer in my local hospital just once a week for like an hour a week and I basically just used to make like tea and coffee for patients Mm. and used to have a chat with those that didn't have any um, visitors that day and you know I'm not saying that I sort of changed their lives but you know it, it was nice just to see that by having a chat with me you know a little smile did go on their faces and just yeah I think that really sort of resonated with me and hit and made me realize that actually you can do you know such small things yes um and they can have such long lasting and you know effects on people in, in a positive good way 100% um, so yeah, that's that's my reasons really. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you on that because I think for me, it always kind of felt like the kind of natural thing for me to go into kind of a healthcare profession just because I definitely knew I was never probably going to be someone to sit at a desk and do mm. like an office job um, because I'm so kind yeah, of interactive. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it was something that even just, I did like working in a care home for, um, well, mm. volunteering in a care home on a weekend for a while. And like you say, just being able to literally have them conversations and literally make someone laugh or make them a cup of tea and just like do them little things but what a difference it can make and just having like listening to people's stories and experiences and Mm. um, I just think it's hard to really be in a profession where you can get that much insight into someone else's life in a way and sort of which is so great that people are so open and Mm. kind of you know people are will tell you their stories and things and I think it's kind of limited careers you can go into where you hear people's backstories like that um probably a little bit of nosiness on my part because I just like I just love hearing other people's (laughs) stories I get obsessed like I literally just love hearing people's life stories um and yeah and that's why especially care home as well because if I was speaking to someone you know 80 years old so much experience um and life stories it was just like my dream like I just loved it um so I think yeah medicine dentistry always kind of seemed like the two options why I ended up picking dentistry sometimes I question myself um but yeah it's medicine's just an amazing career and I just think it's just kind of like no other really in in many ways um so yeah which area of medicine do you think you'll kind of go down because I know you're doing an you're doing an intercalation next year yeah in primary care because I I'm kind of interested in being a GP to be honest that's where Um, I'm thought yeah, I would I like... kind of want to go as well if I was doing medicine that was kind of my really yeah because is... I think I think nobody really wants to become a GP especially when you like apply to medicine everyone's like oh it's mm. boring I know but, um... I hate that what, what do you, why do you think mm. that is is it just because people think it is boring or what is people's kind of think about that I mean I guess you are seeing people with sort of minor health conditions mm. at times you know people might come in with a sprained ankle or you know I don't know you know something that's not um life-threatening yeah Um, but but for me you know that that's not boring and you know if you're able to still you know even just reassure them you know if someone comes in and and thinks they've got an illness and actually they're completely healthy but be able to reassure them and sort of educate them on why Mm. I I think that's so rewarding and I really like the fact that you know I'm I've always been quite a generalist so I've always sort of want to know a bit about everything yeah um 
And to be honest, I, I just like the lifestyle. I like how you don't have to work ev- um, like evening yes. shifts. You don't have to work evening shifts, night shifts. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard anybody call them evening shifts Evening before. shifts. <laughs> Sounds a lot more calming and just like, ooh, evening shifts. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're on holiday. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just like how, you know, you, obviously you can work out of hours as a GP, but I like how you don't have to work um nights or weekends because ultimately like although I am obviously very passionate about my career I, I do yes. also want to have a family and I want to have a life outside of my my job it's definitely something um, to think about isn't it I think that's probably one of the reasons with dentistry also when I kind of did work mm-hmm. experience and I thought yeah you know this is something where you can actually achieve a work-life balance to some capacity and I think with medicine now even when I look at it I know I'm so interested in it and it's definitely a field mm-hmm. that I am interested in but at the same time that's why a GP I think was again the one that I was kind of thinking that would be my maybe aim and obviously I might have changed your mind along the way and I can't say for certain but um mm. I think that thought of even now if I was thinking to myself or oh, what if I'd you know gone into being an emergency doctor or you know working mm. in a hospital environment doing medicine and I just think you know would that have been a sensible idea for me and um in mm. terms of kind of occupational stress and just burnout mm. in general and um mm. really just being exhausted and not having that work-life balance mm. it definitely would worry me um so yeah, yeah I could definitely understand why you know it's important to consider these things isn't it long term as well mm, definitely I think it's so easy you know when you're early 20s to sort of go oh I want to work you know as a hospital specialty doctor but you know mm. 10 15 years down the line where you know you maybe are thinking about having a family and that does change you know change a lot I mean I've been quite surprised of like I even spoke to like a um cardiologist sort of um interventional cardiologist um yeah um and he was uh, he was like what do you want to do and I was like I'm thinking GP haven't ruled anything out but he was like good choice Oh, nice. Um, That's nice to hear someone say that, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Someone in, like, a completely different specialty being, like... I mean, obviously, GPs these days have, have, have has its stresses. But, yeah. Um, I actually... I spoke to um, a GP on, like, an Instagram Live, and I just asked her, like, loads of questions, and it was very reassuring because, you know, nice. she was kind of saying everything that I, I thought GP was. Um, yeah. I had, like, sort of similar reasons for going into it so I was like okay I feel a lot more comfortable isn't it yeah I think it's so true and I think even like a couple of my friends whose parents are GPs you know they say they absolutely love it like they're Mm. maybe in their 60s now 70s and they just never want to give it up and it's just like part of them and I think Mm. um it's so nice that yeah a lot of people might think oh you know when people say as being a hospital doctor like that is that is your life kind of thing Mm. and obviously you still want to ensure you've got that work-life balance but I think for still to be able to hear GPs saying that too that like that is like something they would never want to change and that would never you know have wanted it any other way kind of thing and I think even our experiences as probably patients as well like Mm. obviously not necessarily just with GPs but I think my experience with GPs have generally I mean I know you know a lot of people might not have been kind of had the best experiences or um Mm. but for me like the one I had in Sheffield and still have like she was really good actually at kind of getting things underway and sort of referrals mm. for um IAPT which is like the depression well the kind of mental yeah, health psychiatric services yeah. yeah and she was really good at referring for that and quite you know I mean when I first went to and presented with kind of symptoms and at first they were like we'll wait a little bit longer to sort of see how your mm. symptoms progress and just sort of not start medicating or anything mm. too soon uh, which in some ways I kind of wish she'd referred me for 
the kind of NHS services mm-hmm. at that point, considering the waiting list is so long anyway, um, mm-hmm. where instead it kind of was another probably four to six weeks until I went back again and then got referred. So it kind of was a bit of a pointless four to six weeks yeah, where I was right. just kind of getting worse, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. in that time. But otherwise, she's been really good. So what's your experience been with kind of going to your GP initially with kind of mental health complaints? um mixed Mm. (laughs) um on like on the whole like really good especially because you know I got the outcome that I needed whether that be like medication or like referred for like counseling or like yeah CBT like so everything like that you know like I can't fault them but um I think sometimes as a medical student presenting as a patient it it does you know I don't know whether you're actually treated as a patient at times (laughs) I know so you know I think sometimes they still see you as this medical student and sometimes you you just need to be a patient um and you know receive the same empathy as as anybody else um do you think that some GPs have then kind of treated you not well yeah I know you said obviously just sort of treated you more like as a med student but kind of like do you feel like they've been different to you about kind of a mental health complaint specifically because of the fact you're a med student I don't know whether it's to do with you know what I was presenting with the mental health I think Mm. just sort of um I don't know sort of I had one experience where somebody told me that I was over the 10 minute sort of allocated time um and you know like you should know better you're a medical student kind of thing and I was I was quite shocked by that I mean I think you know I've sort of you know I've seen the doctor again the same doctor and I think yeah. you know it was the end of the day and and she you know there's, there's obviously no excuses but at the same time there are reasonings you know the, a doctor mm-hmm. is a human as well yeah. Um, yeah and she was very nice the next time we saw That's, her yeah, she might have felt a bit bad mm. it's hard isn't it because you look back at it when you're in that when you can reflect on it now and we're maybe in a bit of a different place you sort of think you know okay we we'll give them a bit more bit, obviously we mm. might still think okay it wasn't appropriate but we could sort of think mm. you know from their point of view yeah it probably was the end of the day and you can yeah. sort of give them like a kind of yeah think about it from their shoes in a way but then when you're actually in that position you're yeah, mentally at, that, at very, the time it was very upsetting it's very upsetting isn't it and for someone to be that mentally unwell and then to have someone you're reaching mm. out for help and then someone saying to you, you know mm. oh we've gone over the 10 minutes like sorry kind of got mm. to go it's it's very disheartening and it can kind of mm. think you know why am i even bothering and it can sort of be it's quite difficult if that's someone's initial point of call for like reaching support and then they kind of feel dismissed to some kind of degree um it can be a difficult thing yeah I was just gonna say I think that's why you know on my social media platforms I am trying to sort of advocate that healthcare professionals can you know get ill Mm. as well yeah they're not this just because you know say a doctor knows about x y and z diseases doesn't mean that they can necessarily like stop themselves from getting those diseases and i think we really need to like move away from like this sort of yeah Mm. like idea that doctors need to be like the epitome of health yes it's Um, so true isn't it yeah and like literally allow them to be patients um you know so you know as a medical student even having that experience you know in my third year of medicine I I you know dread to think what it would be if I was a foundation doctor or or further through my training yeah it's crazy isn't it because being so early on into the career you kind of think oh you know it wouldn't make much of a difference or you know okay Mm. like I'm not a qualified doctor yet so maybe there wouldn't be that kind of stigma associated so to still kind of feel that way or have that experience Mm. then like you say you know what is it like for you know people who are GPs or doctors who've been in the kind of profession for 10 years plus or um mm. it's it's a difficult one isn't it 
It is difficult because um, sort of another story, but I've had positive experiences about like telling a doctor I was a medical student. I had to mm. have like a, a an echo, like a scan of my heart just for, it was all fine in the end. God. <laughs> but um, he, he was really nice and he sort of explained um, like the the image of my heart on the mm. um, scan, um, which was really nice. That's um, nice, isn't it? Yeah, that was so you know I, I maybe you can't really win <laughs> yeah but, um, there's definitely like good ways of doing it and, and not so good 100 percent. Except i remember <laughs> i saw a gp and there it was it was an odd experience not gonna lie i think it was the right it must have been the very first point that i had with her when obviously she said about waiting then for a couple of months to see basically mm. if things kind of got worse which probably isn't really like the way to go about things to be honest but mm. um i remember she asked me a question and i was i can't remember what the specific question was um and I was answering it and then she kind of cut me off in the middle of that sentence and said like mm. oh can I speak now and I thought oh my god and I was like well you just asked me the question so I'm just telling <laughs> I'm just giving you the information really like I'm making your job easier because I'm just giving you the information um yeah. and yeah just to hear like a GP sort of cut you off mid-sentence and say like can I speak now basically it was like oh my <laughs> god like this is not great um it, and I mean I do blob on as you can probably tell so it what didn't really offend me too much but I just you know again when you're going in sort of mm. helplessness and just thinking like I need help right now mm. like this is just not going to get better um mm. without external help and then to kind of yeah feel dismissed or feel like it's not necessarily being taken to kind of the severity as you sort of know it is in your own head um yeah. is quite difficult um yeah and then with your GP like what was so with you i wanted to ask that actually like when because i've obviously from your instagram i saw that obviously you've had problems with eating disorders and anorexia um but what kind of came first like what was kind of your kind of initial presentation with mental health diagnosis in the first place did you kind of experience anxiety depression first when you were a lot younger and then kind of problems with eating or was it the other way around yeah it was very much the other way around so okay i'd say i mean it's obviously as you know it's hard to pinpoint when mm. sort of mental health illnesses first start but definitely um my eating disorders developed around sort of gcse time so sort of 15 16 mm. uh, maybe a bit before maybe sort of 14 um and i think for me sort of controlling my food was a way of sort of controlling the stress that was going on in my life sort of yeah applying for medicine is a very stressful time 100% exams are very stressful especially when you haven't you know done any serious exams before you know that whole environment yeah GCSEs like sort of single desks and invigilators mm. and stuff it, it's a it's a very sort of anxiety provoking situation definitely um, and I, I think you know around your teens it's the time where you start to sort of care about your appearance and I, I um, suffered from acne and that sort of made me lose a lot of my self-esteem yeah um, and I obviously couldn't control that although I took medication for it it was you know it was completely mm-hmm. out of my control so the food you know although I'm speaking about it in this way obviously it was never like a conscious decision like this. no it just sort of happened I never thought oh what could I control but yes I, that's I, yeah I've reflected on it a lot since and and that's you know sort of why I think it developed um but yeah I mean I so I didn't realize I had an eating disorder so I although you know I speak about it as I got a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa it was more sort of what's known as orthorexia so orthorexia is not actually 
seen as an eating disorder at the moment. Right. But basically orthorexia is a bit of, um, I don't know how to put it like completely like what it what what the dictionary sort of says. <laughs> it's basically like an obsession with eating what um, healthy in inverted commas. Right. Um, okay. Healthy foods. So you don't want to sort of like intoxicate your body with like unhealthy foods. Which I, I don't like saying that because obviously like now obviously that's not true and you know yeah. chocolate can be healthy. It's all about moderation. Balance. And, and actually if it's healthy for your mind then that's another story. Yeah so. I get what you mean though so just kind of focus, focusing on sort of eating more clean and like basically exactly, yeah like you say yeah. just avoiding like the kind of classic chocolate sweets cake etc etc yeah. um exactly yeah yeah so i i had that and i was sort of very obsessed with exercising and, mm. and why it was quite dangerous is because i never actually skipped a meal so, right you know, friends and family saw me eating a meal and thought well you know if someone's skipping a meal it's quite obvious you know you're then you're like well you know that there's a problem there what's going on yeah um, but the, the, the issue was that you know my plate would be 80 percent full of like lettuce and salad mm. which you know we know doesn't have a high calorie isn't you know calorie dense enough and I was nowhere eating the amount of calories that I should have been for you know the amount that I was expending so yeah weight and I continued to lose weight and um I lost my periods um and that's actually why I went to the doctor right because I hadn't had a period and you know sort of the same thing first I got sent away for a bit um and then I think probably you know three to six months later I, I went back because I still wasn't getting them and then um, the doctor just said oh let's just take your let's see what you weigh ah uh, okay um and you know she was like oh well you weigh x amount um mm-hmm. you know and then sort of dived into you know what my eating was like um, yeah and all those questions and then you know it was very surreal because you know she she basically sort of Although she didn't say the words at that appointment, you know, mm. you have anorexia, she, you know, I, I wasn't stupid. I knew what she was hinting, hinting at. Hinting at, yeah. It was, it was just very surreal because you, you sort of you do this to, to find a way of con- control and then suddenly you just realise you're complete it's the complete opposite and you're completely mm. out of control yeah that's really interesting actually like it's i've heard of obviously everyone saying with anorexia and eating disorders a lot of it is coming from like a control i know that it might be very different for everyone but for a lot of people it comes from that kind of control aspect and then like you say it's very kind of in a way you're kind of not managing and you're sort of out of control in a way and like your life maybe isn't in full control and then that it's like you know for you to kind of get into that so it's quite interesting kind of the control and then not being in control that kind of concept yeah it's it's extremely difficult time and I mean I remember you know just sort of noticing that was that appointment was like in the morning and I remember like going back home and just sort of like telling my dad and then you know, we went to go and like buy some stuff for lunch, you know, just like a meal deal or something. Yeah. That's the moment when I realised actually I was sort of like allowing myself a set amount of calories for sort of lunch, which really isn't mm. enough sort of thing. And that was when I just, I just remember like crying so much. And uh, yeah, it was just sort of a very much that feeling of sort of hopelessness and, and helplessness and, mm-hmm. and just not really knowing, you know, what to do and just yeah. you know, try obviously I tried to sort of 
oh well surely I could eat a piece of chocolate sort of thing mm. I just I couldn't or if I did it, it just that enormous feeling of guilt that just just wasn't worth it so it yeah. was an incredibly different difficult time and um, although you know I I did manage to restore my weight in you know a year two years so sort of age mm. 17 I was back to you know still very slim but back to a a healthy, mm, healthy. You know, a healthy B, a BMI, mm. um, but but the feelings were still there, and it was a constant battle every day to sort of you know challenge those thoughts. So it was very tiring, and you know, sort of it took I'd say a good sort of three years until the end of my first year, where I managed to completely sort of I, I'd say that you know I'm a hundred percent better now. I, I don't yeah. have to challenge those thoughts, which is great, I, isn't it? It's amazing, yeah. And I think, you know, sort of having completely... Because I, I got told around the time, oh, you'll probably still have to challenge these thoughts, like, all your life. Mm. Um, and I know some people do, and, I, you know, I, I know some people that it never completely goes away for them. And, but, you know, I, I am very lucky and fortunate that I I have managed to sort of um, recover completely. So it gives me yeah. confidence with the, the depression and anxiety that developed. That's so true, actually. It makes you think that, you know, because I think it's hard as well when people do say that, you know, and I mean, obviously you understand why, because that's sometimes people's experience with it. But I think if doctors or anyone who has experienced it and kind of saying, you know, you will have to manage it for life and that's kind of part of you, but like it's kind of a management thing. I think that it does kind of put it in your head sometimes, like, you know, is is it always going to be that way? Like, can I ever fully recover? Or am I always going to have these thoughts to a certain capacity, even if it's quite slim? Um, so to actually hear that and know that, like, you can be fully confident in yourself, that, like, you don't have to deal with them thoughts anymore. And, like, that is something you have been able to recover from is kind of very, it is very reassuring that, you know, with other mental health conditions, like, it is something you can recover from um, and not something you have to live with, um, even though, obviously, for a time you have had to, but then it's something you can still definitely get over in a way 100 percent, and i think you know around the time of exams um obviously you know sort of maybe feeling i mean not anymore but you know that was when the feelings were getting a lot stronger so you know i'm, I'm very much aware of that now and i think it's knowing your sort of trigger points to mm. if you want to call it definitely um, but yeah, that, I mean, it's quite interesting. I've sort of seen recently that there's a there's a big link between anorexia nervosa and anxiety. Mm. Um, yeah, which kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. But something that I've only just discovered recently. It's difficult, isn't it? Like, there's so much kind of light being shed on things all the time. You think, oh, like, you know, I even with depression, like, I've heard certain kind of psychiatrists say that, like, you know it's not something that is genetic like if you're not born with it like you're not born as a baby with anorexia nervosa or with depression or with anxiety then it's something you can change and a lot of it is kind of learned behaviors or from traumas from like past traumas or it's kind of began for a reason in a way and it's kind of trying to discover that trigger or that kind of schema behind it but then it's difficult because then sometimes I have thought is it genetic or is there a genetic component that I can't change and it's very confusing because a lot of different kind of psychiatrists and therapists and counsellors have very different kind of views on it and I never know what the kind of right answer is if that makes sense or whether there is a straight answer to these things um which is difficult because I like I like a straight answer I like to kind of know you know for certain what is something or like what am I dealing with so to kind of hear these different kind of takes on things it is sometimes a bit like oh look I don't know my you know I don't know myself um 
which is quite hard. Especially from, you know, an expert in that field, like Mm. a psychiatrist, you just sort of want to, you know, for sort of comfort reasons, you want to be told that, you know, they know all the answers and you Mm. will get better and and that's it. And, but, you know, when you've got any area of sort of uncertainty, that's just, yeah, very, quite stressful at times and upsetting. It is, isn't it? Yeah, but... I think it's you know sort of when you start to let that sort of stuff go, which which is difficult, but then that's you know quite freeing. Yeah, it's true actually. It's like you say before, like just being confident in yourself and like not really having to know kind of all the answers, but being kind of content with that and just kind of living very presently and sort of being more mindful and them kind of things. Which for me, I've always known that I'm very kind of someone to sort of dwell on past or sort of over worry about future and not really be in the moment so that's something I've definitely from kind of January and starting up on counseling and things that's definitely one thing that I've really tried to focus on is just trying as best I can to be present and just be happy for like what I am and who I am and how things are going on that specific day and not be kind of going too far kind of into the future or dwelling on past and ruminating catastrophizing all of those kind of things yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. And yeah, again, that's something that I'm massively working on. I think, you know, even when I was very depressed, um, and if, you know, I was sort of enjoying something, because, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't crying my eyes out 24 7. Yeah. I was probably crying my eyes out at least one hour a day. Yeah, that, oh my God, that's the same as me. I think people have this conception, don't they? I think people do generally think that, like, well, especially people who maybe haven't experienced clinical depression, which obviously you understand because, you know, they're not going to yeah. know if they haven't experienced it and I think like people will think you know it means you're literally crying your eyes out 24 hours a day and it's just not the case or wasn't for me anyway I mean obviously for some people you know some people will be crying more often than others or have a certain symptom more frequently than others but for us yeah it's something that you know it, that's not necessarily the case that I think people can sometimes get a bit confused about yeah I mean I think like you were saying as well about the sort of not being able to live in the moment in, in those moments of depression when I, I was sort of reasonably enjoying myself I, I mm. didn't enjoy myself because I was so con- I worried about oh tomorrow I'm just going to feel miserable again yeah so you know those moments where you know I, I could have been happier I I, I wasn't because I, yeah. I wasn't able to be in that moment it's quite hard to explain but yeah. and I know what you mean it's like you sort of yeah when you're just consumed by it there's always that element of you that is still kind of consumed and kind of not yourself in a way so I think even if you're slightly in a position where I remember my birthday for my 21st so that was last year and that specific day like it was a very kind of nice day like I was with one of my friends the whole day went on like a really long walk the weather was amazing like went out for a really nice meal with my friends and it was a lovely day but I'm like I still knew that I wasn't me or I, I kind of still had that loss of sense of self and still was consumed by it and that kind of heaviness and kind of numbness that comes with depression like that's always kind of there to some capacity and then I'd still know that like the next day that was going to be there like it I think it was still that kind of underlying level of depression basically that I still could but like you say I could have been more present in that moment and still try to kind of be 
more happy in that specific day or in that specific moment but i think because you still know you're not well deep down it's very hard to sort of yeah be in the moment i suppose because you are so kind of consumed by it so i totally get what you mean and i think it'd be hard for maybe other people to relate to that or to understand it to some way if um they've not been through it but um there's probably many times kind of when you're at your darkest with depression where there's still individual moments where you maybe could have technically enjoyed it more and kind of been more present in that specific moment but then i think fundamentally you probably still aren't well and it's still um very kind of all-consuming isn't it definitely yeah exactly yeah it's really hard and i think one thing for me as well like when i did my recording for a dental life with uh, zainab on her podcast i think trying to explain I, I remember saying some of my symptoms of depression that i kind of first presented with i suppose or kind of things that i first started noticing but it was very difficult to kind of explain like i still find it hard even if i was trying to explain it to like myself like how i would even describe depression or anxiety and kind of how it affects your life um and i'm kind of interested with you because for me i never really had problems with anxiety apart from with like exams and kind of natural sort of circumstances where you know maybe you would expect someone to be anxious and it wouldn't be like a kind of um sort of not pathological problem but it wouldn't be yeah it wouldn't be seen as like abnormal technically um apart from that i never really experienced um, anxiety to be honest until i had depression so it kind of came as like two for me in kind of one um so what was your experience with that you, you always kind of felt like you've had problems with anxiety or did it kind of come together it definitely came together. I mean, I've definitely always sort of had traits of perfectionism, which comes with anxiety, sort of worried about failure and that kind of stuff. But definitely it only started to like truly affect my life with the depression. Um, the depressive symptoms definitely came first. I mean, yes. just not enjoying life. Um, I, I've always been, well, before depression, anxiety, it's definitely always an extrovert, like always very like quite loud. Yeah, I think we're. I, th I feel like we are the same person. That's what I think. All my friend, I think any of my friends listening to this will literally be like, "We are the same person." It's really weird, but yeah, it's great to hear someone else's side of it though. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, I, I, I was definitely this very confident like person, um, and then the depression kind of stripped that whole personality that. I had that that way I turned into this massively introverted shy um not I, I didn't hardly spoke to people unless you know a sort of one person was speaking to me I you know you I had to I would never sort of I mean not that I like I I, I wouldn't say that I like control the conversation <laughs> sort of like I speak do you know what I mean mm, yes oh yeah <laughs> I, I do too Back in that moment, I, I just would have sat quiet and sort of yeah. listened. Um, and, you know, I, I love sort of socialising, always been, you know, I guess that comes with like the extroverted side, but I, I just didn't want to. I just wanted to be in bed. Um, and, you know, I, I just found myself being upset and, you know, whether that meant, you know, full on crying or just being miserable for no apparent reason. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and no one else could understand, you know, like my boyfriend found it very difficult to understand because, and I did as well, because, you know, technically speaking, everything in my life was going 100% great. You know, I was mm. doing the degree that I've always wanted to do. I was in London where I always wanted to be. I had, you know, I, I still have great loving family and supportive family. I have 
amazing friends I had I finally yeah. you know found a good relationship yes um, and you know I was living in a, a really like a, a nice flat in London I, I just technically had everything that I could would have imagined yeah, yeah. Happy, like I you know five years ago if someone told me this I, I would be like well I'd be so happy that you know mm. around that time because that's everything I wanted so then to feel you know that extreme sadness it made me feel extremely guilty yeah you know knowing that I had you know this life that most people would sort of you know that they that would be so amazing for them to have and you know I knew that there's so many people that want to do medicine who, who can't but you know can't get in and yeah. um, I you know I'm doing okay like I can I can you know go out for a pizza I can go to the theatre yeah. you know <laughs> which I absolutely love doing I can go shopping and I can treat myself to a top or do you know what I mean yeah it's not desperate for money you know and I, I, I yeah I don't know so that made me feel extremely guilty knowing that there was a lot of other people in uh, a lot harder circumstances than me and mm. probably you know so why was I feeling feeling this like thing? this? Why wasn't I happy? I I felt very ungrateful for it's it's so it's so horrible isn't it i think it's like i always think this i think you know if someone if you're at university and it was the exact same circumstances and you know i was the same like you know happy at uni up until that point and like i just passed my exams in the january which i was like very nervous about because we had to do, i had to do one of the um practical exams again as like a reset so that was stressing me out so got through that and i thought oh perfect like you know we've got through that ready just to kind of carry on again with like normal uni life and then all of a sudden you know it's going back downhill again it, you know we started going downhill and I think um you know if you were to kind of get diagnosed with a physical illness or you started having problems with a physical illness I always think you know would you feel as guilty you know if I just got diagnosed with like diabetes type one or something and I had been at the same position in my life but then I don't feel like I would have necessarily felt like oh you know I feel so ungrateful for my like why am I so ungrateful for my life or like I would feel so guilty for like feeling this way because of my you know what I mean? Like my lifestyle. Yeah, I think it. I think it comes from sort of the stereotype and the mm. stigma surrounding it, and and you know, although there's been a lot of progress, especially with depression and anxiety, um, you know, that it's still, you know, some people don't really see mental health, you know, as as the same as physical health. Um, I know. I mean, and I don't think I did either, to be honest. No, I didn't either. I definitely was naive to that and kind of fell into that trap in a way. Like, I always kind of felt like I... It's hard when it's yourself. Like, I, like pre-me being ill, like, I still definitely always was very accepting to mental health problems and non-judgmental. And I definitely know I wasn't, like, you know, had this kind of stereotype towards it. But then when it came to myself, like, it just felt like, oh, like, I am ungrateful. Like, why am I feeling this way when I have got kind of like I have you know I'm lucky like I'm fortunate um so what is this kind of deep sadness about where like I just don't even care for my own existence in a weird way like I just don't even care anymore and it's like it's so hard where I feel like if it had been a physical illness I wouldn't have seen myself in that way like obviously it still would have been devastating and might have had a massive impact on your life but I don't think I would have seen myself as like oh I should be guilt I'm feeling guilty or I'm so ungrateful and all of these kind of things I mean, it's even, you know, to the the fact that if I can go to placement or to uni one day, which 
it happened a lot. Um, I would, you know, email in and, and make a physical health excuse. I'd mm. say, Apologies, like I've got sore throat or, you know. 100%. Like yeah. Being, sorry, I'm feeling particularly anxious today. or sorry, I'm just feeling very down today. Yeah. So, you know, even myself clearly like carry some of that sort of stigma. I know. Um, but Me too. I don't think I, I, I could never sort of allow myself to be sad so you know I remember those days when I, I couldn't go into uni and I remember like my mum just saying just have a duvet day watch a nice yeah. film have a hot chocolate weather and I, I, I you know I couldn't even I felt so guilty and I couldn't even sort of enjoy that I mean enjoy is probably a weird word to use for that but <laughs> I know you know, what you mean though would be like, oh, amazing just, yeah I'll just have a duvet day today mm. and that's fine and then but that just made me feel like a complete waste of space and yeah. waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel you on that I think sometimes like at uni I felt like with me not being in so much my attendance being so poor and that's kind of something that did kind of bite me on the backside basically and something that I had to kind of defend myself about but then at the same because obviously I knew that being absent a lot was also going to have like negative implications on kind of my progression on the course and keeping up to date with things and um, obviously we're doing things like medicine and dentistry there's certain things you have to do and like clinical yeah. placements and things and I think um, it felt very yeah with the attendance uh, I think people probably thought oh well I had that kind of perception anyway that people kind of thought oh you know she's just loving life like she's just off uni so much like she's just chilling in bed like great for her but I literally I mean it's just so the opposite like I would have given anything to have been at uni being the kind of person that I was you know pre-mental health condition like I would have taken that any day over me having three weeks in bed basically you know it's um something that I don't know if you'll kind of feel the same as me on this one but even like watching tv programs and things like I'll, even programs that I'd be like obsessed with like I just couldn't focus yeah, I on them concentrate. I couldn't no. follow, like the storyline or anything like it's so something that I've noticed come back recently actually yeah I can just think about this program yeah I actually can <laughs> sit and enjoy a tv program which is so annoying yeah, because of yeah because at the time like it would have been obviously fantastic as like a distraction so I think you'd think oh you know I, when I was so low I'd think well if, you know, if I'm in bed at least if I can watch tv and distract myself with it then at least it's something but I couldn't even do that so you are just literally left with your own self thoughts and you're already feeling like a zero out of ten about yourself and it's like how you know you can't escape it very easily whatsoever like the distraction kind of thing I think was something I found the hardest I just thought if I can distract myself out of this maybe I'll get somewhere but I couldn't really find anything that actually took my mind away from it because I was so consumed by it yeah I think that's why I was quite lucky that it never really affected my sleep that much Mm. is often quite a big symptom um I mean I I did get the sort of like early waking but I I was always tired so I I found that I could just sleep and yeah I feel very sad saying this but sleep was the one time that all those thoughts yes yeah I I agree with you on that I would just look forward I would just look forward to sleeping so so much like I would I would sleep into like you know as late as possible anyway if I kind of knew I wasn't going into uni because I thought well obviously what is the point of me waking up and what was really difficult as well like some days where I'd kind of think right I can do it and I'd try and you know I knew that I felt internally the same way but I would try and like really push and I would get out of bed early and I would get ready to go to uni fully dressed like I'd have my whole clinic outfit on like my shoes ready to go and I thought all I've got to do is literally get myself out the door like how hard can this be and some days I literally just couldn't even get myself out the front door 
at all. To explain that, that because I mean, I remember like on one of my worst days, like I ended up just like getting a GP emergency appointment. Mm. I, I knew technically there was nothing. There was nothing that they I know. could do more. You know, it's not like a you've broken your leg and you, I know. you need to take that pain away. Like it's such a different pain where mm. nothing can take it away. But yeah, I remember him just saying, you know, well, you know what I'm going to say, like go for a walk, it'll make you feel better. Oh I, my God. I, I, I knew that it would, but I, I just couldn't. And like, no. I, I knew it was just like a few steps. Well, I mean, I actually live on the third floor, but <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was just a few steps outside, you know, mm. but I, I just, you know, obviously it, especially as like a medical student like I, I was learning about like when I had my psychiatry placement last year so obviously I was learning about all these diseases as a medical student yeah a patient and I, I think that was the worst part of it I knew even you know making that GP appointment mainly because sort of my parents and my boyfriend were sort of telling me to so I, I kind of mm-hmm. you know felt like I should I, I just I knew what they were going to say not that I'm an expert <laughs> yeah an expert. no but at the same time, I knew there wasn't anything you know, they could do in a way. They could do, yeah. So I know. I agree with you on that. Like, I remember I got, um, well, I would try to get an emergency appointment on one day, and that was kind of earlier on into things kind of starting for me. So maybe like April, May, where I'd sort of started kind of becoming ill in March. And I remember I rang, and I was like literally bawling my eyes out on the phone and just kind of at that point of literally anybody like i am just I, I am just asking for help so someone just needs to give me that because i don't know what it is but like that like and there's nothing else i can say um and i remember like they kind of put me on some random kind of nurse or whoever because i don't think they had any spare appointments for that day like emergency ones like face to face um so they spoke to me on the phone but then i remember all she said was basically nothing but then she basically which i kind of expected um but then she basically just said oh ring back if it gets any worse and i remember she said that and i thought what i was like well what do you think i'm ringing for you know what i mean like i'm not just ringing for like the fun or like just to have a little chat about you know like what we ate for tea last night like i'm literally like and she's just telling me to ring back if it gets worse and i just thought well what does that even mean like i can't really get it to me at that point that's the worst i'd had been if that makes sense so it was kind of like what am i meant to do with that so i remember coming off the phone and just like bawling my eyes out even more and just feeling more kind of helpless in that situation and i think um it, that's what's really hard for mental health isn't it it's like when you do reach a point of kind of desperation or crisis or whatever that is you do kind of feel like from even maybe past experiences you've had what is that going to achieve or like what you know what is actually someone going to do that's going to make me better or what is going to you know is that really going to change anything i think that's what can maybe stop a lot of people kind of reaching out for help and um which is a shame really because obviously you know i'd promote obviously anyone to reach out for help if they're in that kind of state and just finding the right support no matter what that is but it can put you off a little bit yeah i think you know the the main treatment for obviously mental health illnesses takes time to sort of work you know it takes a few weeks to sort of kick in if you're taking medication Um, Mm. and I was already taking medication at that point which you know on the whole was helping but I had sort of this dip this would have been like I think January this the start of this year yeah um and you know like when I said about this emergency appointment yeah it was it was on the telephone as well and I just remember feeling like this like actual pain and I, I didn't have many days of like feeling that way thankfully mm. but you know I, I just I just felt miserable I didn't ha- I didn't feel like like yeah in pain I, it sounds so like I find it difficult even now to understand it's so hard I, isn't it 
so you know I, I do have so much understanding that obviously someone that hasn't gone through will probably sort of hear me describe a mental health thing as painful and be like mm. what <laughs> I know because that's like I can t- I can totally understand what you mean like I know what it what it feels yeah. like to have that pain but it's like I, it's something you just can't describe like I, don't, I just don't even know how you describe it it's impossible isn't it Mm, I mean, I, that was sort of one of one of my worst times. I mean, I unfortunately did. I have experienced suicidal thoughts as well. <laughs> yeah, but, so um, I. I I never acted on them. Um, I sort of thought about ways that I I would, but it was more it was more out of I don't see this getting better. Um, I don't think I can cope with that pain. This yeah. is the only solution sort of thing, which absolutely it's not. Um, and I was so, I'm obviously so lucky that because of my support network and, you know, mm. family, boyfriend, friends, I, I just couldn't, that's what stopped me. Yeah, if yeah. living on my own, if, you know, if that never affected anybody else, I absolutely 100% wouldn't still be here today. It's all, it's so sad to think about, isn't it? But that's why, yeah, it's so kind of, I am, like me and you both probably, you know, so grateful to have the support that we have. And it's so sad to think there's people out there who will be very alone in that situation. Like they'll already be feeling so alone anyway and isolated with the mental health condition, but then support wise have absolutely nobody. And it doesn't have to be, you know, your best friend or it doesn't have to be your mom, but just having somebody where some people are just so unfortunate and don't have that, which is such a shame. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even I found it and still do find it extremely hard to talk about the suicidal thoughts to people. Um, I do too, So, yeah. you know, to anyone sort of listening to this, even if you have the best of friends in the world and, and you know, the most loving parents and you feel like you can't talk to them, there's, like, so many helplines. Yes. But, you know, you're, you are never alone. Mm. Um, that's so important to know um, yeah 100% there always is people out there as well who want to help isn't it I think I just at times just felt like I'd literally look through my phone and I'd obviously have all these people that I'm so close to and like my f- best friends and things and I'd literally scroll through my contacts and just felt like a block like I could not speak to any of them about it like it just felt very like yeah. I can't do it so I think for me a lot of times speaking to kind of strangers in a way is something that I actually find easier so I kind of wish at the times where I'd felt the worst I wish that I had actually reached out to you know say Samaritans or because they're there to help and you don't have to be experiencing a complete mental health crisis and suicidal thoughts to ring Samaritans I think some people think that you have to be at like the work whatever you want to define as like the worst of the worst to actually reach out to them but they're there to help anyone with any kind of concerns mental health wise or whether you're a family member or a friend who's having to support someone with a mental health condition and things like that as well definitely yeah I think that's really important to say actually because you kind of you might well I always sort of was like oh there's someone feeling worse than me that needs it like no Mm. if you are feeling that way then just ring um definitely the thing with suicidal thoughts is obviously you know that no one wants to see a loved one depressed or anxious but hearing that your loved one is thinking about ending their lives is i know it's so upsetting and you know i i find it upsetting for myself thinking that i felt that way Um, yeah but but you know it's one thing to be able to open up somebody and it's the second thing to then see your love like i just remember my mum like crying in tears and i was like well, I don't it's want awful, to talk about it? this anymore if I'm just upsetting her. Yeah. So um, I was really lucky that in London there's this service called The Listening Place. And yeah, I've heard you mention this actually. It sounds amazing. Yeah. They're a complete charity um, and they basically 
sort of provide you a, a volunteer who's been trained to sort of to listen I suppose right um, and to someone to sort of talk through those those thoughts with for like an hour every I think I had sort of an hour every two weeks for, that's amazing um, sort of eight sessions yeah so it's kind of like mini counseling it so it's kind of like counseling but not obviously a different kind of type of counseling but it's still that kind of that kind of continuous support isn't it definitely and and you know everyone always says that to deal with those feelings you need to talk to somebody but although you know i'm super open about talk, i've always been so open about you know depression anxiety to to everyone that i know you know definitely i probably wouldn't walk into a room and go hi <laughs> yeah i know said you know have you got a mental health illness i'd be like yeah i do i have this this
it's like when you it's like when you are in well, like a way that people maybe could relate to it is like you know it's like if you are in physical pain and you've ever like broke a limb or something like that and every minute like when i broke my arm for example like every second feels like literally half an hour while the ambulance is coming to get you or that like you go into hospital with your broken arm and it's like hanging off so it's kind of like when you're meant <laughs> i mean my arm looked like it literally i don't even know it was hang it was like about 10 centimeters away from where my arm should have actually been it was like a right angle it was so bizarre um so i remember that feeling oh roller skating out of all things don't even go there like i, I don't even know why i was roller skating quite honestly <laughs> and i've barely ever done it since i mean to be fair i would i would do it but it's just like being a dentist as well probably not the most kind of sensible thing um and uh, yeah and i remember that felt like absolute eternity so i think again when you're kind of in that emotional pain like every single day and it is so all-consuming it's something that it just that numbness like it, every, it, every second does feel like you can literally clock the second like normally obviously you're not that aware of time but like it feels so long i mean i wouldn't be that aware of time like because all the days would just merge into one because I, I felt the same way every single day but then at the same time it did go so slow so you were kind of aware of time in that sense but not like the specific days and the time like you know what i mean it was very kind of disorientated um which is very bizarre really i think have you got any general kind of tips or advice on one any of the mental health conditions that you know either anorexia nervosa anxiety or depression like anything we've spoke about is there anything that you would kind of say to anyone listening or any kind of anything to do with you know either if it was seeking help or just general kind of tips or any advice on kind of long-term management of them conditions or anything that sort of you did or that helped you to kind of recover or kind of improve with them diagnoses in a way yeah so i mean first of all you just have to seek help um i mm. mean even if you sort of sat there thinking oh there's nothing that i can do to help well just go and see um yeah and, and reach that point after you've gone to see somebody because there's absolutely no negatives about just you know going to see a doctor it's you know 10 minutes of your life which mm. could really turn around your life um i mean i do have tips for sort of each thing individually so you know going back to the eating disorder and anorexia i think you know just realizing that how much does your weight matter and, and what you look like and, and what you weigh how much will that affect your life and mm. will you be you know when you're sort of 10 years time will you can like will you care if you're 10 kilos less or 10 kilos more probably not i mean I know. you know if you're going up to be like morbidly obese yeah yeah <laughs> you know sort of um you know a few kilos 10 kilos you know or whatever is needed to to reach a healthy bmi you yeah you think about that and you know think about sort of all foods being healthy um, you know, I, I and don't restrict yourself. I mean, I know that's easier said than done. Um, and surround yourself by people that have sort of a positive influence on how you eat. So yeah. you know, if you have friends who are, you know, maybe have got, you know, not full on eating disorders, but got sort of tendent, you know, unhealthy relationships with food, mm. then you know, please don't surround yourself with them when you're recovering or trying to get better because that's really not healthy. You what really helped me was surrounding myself with my friends who were all a very healthy weight and you know yeah very beautiful girls and still are and you know seeing them sort of eat carbs and eat yeah eat what they want to i was like oh Mm. i I can do this too so you know definitely surrounding yourself by 
people who have a positive relationship with food is good. That's amazing, um, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. The anxiety side of it is definitely sort of the thought trialing that I said. Mm. Write out the worry, you know, how likely is it? It, Just sort of really write everything about it. Um, I think I need to do this actually. I think that's because it's definitely something I still struggle with sometimes is kind of managing the kind of anxiety things, even though my depression's definitely got a lot better now. And it's definitely, I think with depression, I don't know if you can relate to that as well, but I can, it's something that I just know if I'm in it or not. Like it's not something that I can't be aware of. It's like, I'm either, I just know, am I or am I not? Like it's kind of easy for me to tell. Like, and now, like I know I'm not in that place. Like I'm not depressed. Like I just know that I'm not. So I think, um, I'm so grateful to be in that position but I think the anxiety kind of side of things has sort of stuck with me a little bit beyond the kind of depression even though that's got better but that so I'm definitely going to try that with the kind of thought trialing yeah and you know you can either even do it with you know if you don't want to write it down sometimes you can even do it you know with your mum or your friend Mm. you know your partner you can because obviously I think the thing with anxiety is your, your brain isn't really thinking rationally you know you're just sort of well, for me anyway, I sort of overthink situations and so talking to somebody who, you know, can see the situation rationally really helps. Yeah. Um, and the depression side of it, um, definitely don't be afraid to seek medication and also do the sort of cbt counseling do both there's no harm in trying it because i know obviously people are going to react differently to it and have different side effects and things but i think it's still something that you can trial out and see if it works for you and if it doesn't then you can easily stop it as well definitely yeah i mean it's not something that you're gonna get addicted to yeah you know i mean the way i see it is i'm still taking medication now um, but the way I see it is I, well, I mean, I am lucky that I don't have side effects from it, I suppose, but, you know, I literally just take a tiny little pill, like, mm. you know, it takes me like 10 seconds. Yeah. Or so, and then, um, but, you know, so I, I, I'm not really in any sort of ma- massive rush to stop taking it, but I know that when I do, that will be fine. But, but right now I'm just very content with how I am mm. <laughs> like I've had a few people being like so when are you going to stop taking antidepressants I'm like I don't care I know there's would no rush that, would, would you you know say to someone with like type 1 diabetes mm. are you going to stop having to take insulin just it's so true I'm isn't it doing? yeah it's like like, mm, it's like just let me be like you can be taking it and be content and that's fine like if you're going to be on it for how many years that's fine if someone's on it for three months that's fine too so it's just finding what works for you and I think I'm definitely interested with my podcast when I speak to other people if they've experienced depression to maybe see you know other medications and their experience with it because obviously we've both been on surgery and but it'll be interesting to see you know if people have had really kind of odd reactions to other um SSRIs or other complete different categories of um, psychiatric medications that'll be really interesting but um, I think we've both had generally quite positive experiences on Sertraline to be honest which is really good. Yeah and obviously you know I've been very lucky in the sense that you know the first medication that I I tried worked for me and you Mm. know a lot of people it'll take a lot longer than that but I did read this sort of um, research study and it found it says you know something along the lines that there is an antidepressant for everybody with depression mm. as if one that will work it's just the 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 finding, finding. finding that one that works which yeah you know, I, I can imagine you know obviously you have to sort of give um each medication time to work 
and then you, the doctor, you know, if it's not working, might increase the dose of that same medication. So it can be a very long process to find the one that works. Definitely. Um, it's like people on the pill, isn't it, in a way, for like, you know, whether it is contraception or for taking it for periods or whatever reason they're taking it for. But people can have very, you know, varying experiences on the pill and have to try multiple different options and, you know, and just well, kind of I the same. <laughs> yeah see it's like that isn't it oh it's like that isn't it trying to find the right one and you know it, that's fine like you know it's not a anything against it's not a, you know something you should be ashamed of that you've had to try you know if you've had to try five different antidepressants you know as long as you eventually find the one for you and just don't be scared to go back to your gp either and sort of ask for help if you think you know medication's not working or you're getting really bad side effects don't just sort of put up with it because you think you have to because there's a lot of other options out there isn't there Hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes it is helpful to see depression as a different person to you. So mm. I think that makes you feel less guilty for it if you are experiencing the feelings that I sort of felt by way of sort of distancing it, distancing it from your sort of normal, healthy self. That that makes it easier. I think, that, that's true that's true isn't it because you're thinking then about like how would you approach it if it was your friend or your family member like what would you say to them so i think seeing it from like you detach yourself a little bit from it and sort of see like think about what you would tell a loved one for example that can be helpful as well can't it yeah i mean yeah that's got to be like one of my biggest tips as well which i'm i'm still learning to do but you've just got to talk to yourself like you would to your best friend you know if your best friend was having a, a bad day you would just tell them you would tell them to like look after yourself stay at home you know mm. try and watch something nice you know have that understanding that maybe that won't cheer them up and you know i think my mum used to say oh go and get a cake i was like oh, cake, <laughs> but you know try and be kind to yourself but allow yourself time off don't don't feel bad for that you, you're ill unfortunately and i know, you know so yeah <laughs> thank you so much tash you have been incredible like i could literally speak to you for like five hours i swear <laughs> down like i could just go on and on i think because we have had quite similar experiences just in some ways like there's so much i can relate to i think it just makes it yeah, easier yeah. to talk about it because i yeah, just i'm so fascinated obviously by like what your experience would be on certain medications and you know how you found certain counseling and things like that and I, to be honest i think i'd definitely even in the future like with the second series like love to get you back and actually just discuss more about different maybe counseling that we've had and kind of what we've thought about it and what's kind of worked what hasn't and things like that and just discuss more about cbt and things because that's something that i'd like to know more about as well because i've never really had um cbt or like your university counseling as well to find more about that um that would be great as well um so yeah i really want to say thank you for coming and also i wanted to obviously tell the audience that obviously you have got your youtube channel where you've obviously got so much content about either you know medical applications mental health content like days in the life um so that's tash the medic and then your instagram is tash underscore the medic um so please go and follow tash everyone and that'd be amazing and yeah is there anything else you'd like to say tash or any final kind of words of wisdom or anything to tell any of the audience thank you so much for inviting me on here i've really enjoyed speaking to you you know like likewise what you've said about you know it's so nice that you know unfortunately but it's nice that we have gone through similar experiences and you know mm -hmm. to relate to each other so so yeah i really enjoy speaking to you mm -hmm.